0: Your phone app, if you have that, open up to Ecclesiastes. We're gonna be uh, looking at that at the very first here. And what Ecclesiastes is, is a book in the Bible where it shows the world through very human eyes. Ecclesiastes is where Solomon he has a search for meaning and significance in life. He explores all the highs and the lows in life that we all face, and he really comes to the conclusion that without God, life is meaningless. So Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3, he actually shares that idea that our life is an accumulation of seasons. In Ecclesiastes 3.1, it says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. In other words, everyone will experience seasons in our life. There's going to be good seasons and there's going to be bad seasons. There's going to be seasons of financial lack, seasons of financial prosperity, Finding seasons of hurt, seasons of friendship and love. There's going to be all kinds of seasons. But I'm going to argue that although what Solomon is saying is that our life is a season, I'm going to say that if we're not careful, our seasons can become cycles. A cycle and a season are not the same. Seasons can change with the times, and cycles change with us. Seasons are entered into and exited out of. And cycles are a time where we enter into something and never exit out of it. It's like a time warp. it's hard for us to hear in Amarillo to think of seasons that don't change because we can experience all four seasons in one day, right? But sometimes in our own lives, our seasons can get stuck. And it functions almost like a hamster's wheel, where we're exerting energy, extending effort, growing weary, but going nowhere. It's when time is changing but the relationship isn't. Time is changing, but my resources aren't. Time is changing, but my mindset isn't. And cycles can be disappointing and depressing because no one wants to spend their life in a hamster's wheel. I was reading about the Vietnam War and about a a man who was Admiral James Stockdale who was taken prisoner by the Vietnamese. And during the eight years that Stockdale was held hostage, he was tortured routinely. He had no reason to believe that he would ever be released or he ever see his family again. Yet despite his horrific circumstances, Stockdale became a beacon of hope for the other prisoners in the camp. He developed a secret mode of communication to keep away the hopeless thoughts of isolation. And he taught the other prisoners how to create coping mechanisms to deal with the enemy's torture tactics. In short, he kept faith alive where most people would long since let it die. And the enemy wants to use that kind of hopelessness against us that we can believe that things will never change, that this is how it's always going to be. But God wants to reveal to us today that he is not just your creator. He's not just your comforter. He is your cycle breaker. When things seem hopeless, when things seem like it will never change, he's the God of breakthrough. And what Stockdale shows us is that what separates people is not the presence or the absence of difficulties, but it's how we deal with the difficulties in life. That we can actually come out, come back from the difficulties a stronger person. And what has now become known as the Stockdale Paradox states that in every circumstance, you must retain faith that you will prevail in the end regardless of the the difficulties, and at the same time confront the most brutal realities of your situation. And during his eight years as a prisoner of war, Stockdale looked at a situation squarely in the faith, face each day, yet he never lost faith that he would eventually prevail. There's going to be several examples in Scripture that I want to show you where people were waiting for years for a breakthrough. But then God showed up, and he moved something that seems unmovable. So here are just a few examples. In Luke 13, verses 10-10, It says, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she was straightened up and praised God. Then out of John chapter 5, verse 5, it says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Can you imagine being in a cycle for 38 years. But when Jesus saw him lying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to be made well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And this guy cracks me up. He's even complaining about trying to get well, right? So Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat. And at that once, the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked so have you ever wanted to be free from something that you've had for a very long time? In fact, maybe you even hate what has you in bondage, and it seems like the cycle will never end. And I want to say today that God is the God of breakthrough. And I'm going to share with you a story about King David and his breakthrough. And we're going to be reading in the Old Testament in Second Samuel and I want to give you a, just a timeline of his life real fast so you'll know what I'm talking about. So here we see David, and actually David was just a shepherd's boy who through a seasons of events, accumulated of events, that he ascends to the position of king. So David, as a shepherd boy, he kills a lion and a bear. Then, after a few years later, he's anointed to be king by Samuel, and then as a teenager, he kills a giant named Goliath. And then after his defeat of Goliath, he goes on to fight in war. And then at 30 is when we see that he actually becomes king. So it's important here to know that David's ascension is incremental, meaning he assumed leadership over parts of the kingdom before he assumed leadership of the entirety of the kingdom. It's incremental because God wants to make sure that David's ascension doesn't outpace his development. Because it can be disastrous to get to your destiny unprepared. It's disastrous to fight for the promotion and then get it, and you can't do the job. It's disastrous to ask for the opportunity, and you get it, and you can't properly manage it. I heard Brandon Burchard say, why are you asking to go to the next level when you're barely surviving the one you're on? Man, that'll speak, right? So to everything, there is a time. God knows when to get you there, and he knows what needs to be in you, what needs to be developed, what needs to be strengthened, and what needs to be removed before you get there. So you've got to trust not only the place God is taking you, you've got to trust the pace. Because God knows the pace that we need to move at to be where we need to be on time. You may feel like you're behind schedule, but I promise when he gets you there, if you let him order your steps and you stay at the right pace, you won't get there too early and be out of breath or you won't get there too late and miss your opportunity. So David's ascension was incremental. Now, it's interesting what the Bible says, that when David was anointed king over all of Israel, the Bible says the Philistines heard about it and came after him. Now, who are the Philistines? The Philistines are actually the group of people that Goliath came from. And if you remember, as a teenager, David defeated Goliath. So they hear that he is being anointed king, and they're starting to come after him. let me ask you this. Has anybody been in a fight in school? Okay, so I was in sixth grade. I was in a fight at school, a girl fight, and, you know, with a girl named Melinda Morales, and she was after me, and um, it was a stupid girl fight. You know, we just really just pulled hair and scratched and screamed and kicked each other. So we were both so exhausted, we decided to call it quits, and then we thought it was over. Well, I thought it was over anyway, until the next day when I learned that all of her cronies were coming after me. (laughs) So here are the Philistines that can represent the thing that you thought you were through with, a problem that you defeated but you didn't finish. That's why incremental ascension is important because God not only uses incremental development to prepare us for the positives of promotion, it also develops the, uh, he also uses it for the negatives of promotion because not everybody is going to be excited about your promotion. Now, their lack of excitement doesn't rob you of your promotion, doesn't rob you of your opportunity of the promotion, But if you focus on it, it will rob you of your joy of the promotion. And that's how the enemy works, to try and get us focused on all the wrong things, to forget about how good God is and all he's blessed you with, but to get you focused on all the little negative things, on all of the little problems that are arising, on all of the little issues. And when you're focused on the wrong thing and you forget about God's blessings, but you're focused on what all is wrong with the blessing... All of the things that are coming against you, you get this woe is me mentality. Instead of, if God is for me, who can be against me? Or God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Or if God brought me to this, he'll bring me through this. See, the difference A blessing is the same, but the attitude and the focus is different. So here's my question. Why are the Philistines now attacking David? The answer is that they assume that now he is king, he's going to finish the job that he started with Goliath. They're thinking, if he slayed Goliath with just a rock, what is he going to do with us when now he has a full army behind him? So they're afraid of what David is going to do when he steps into the fullness of his potential. And the same thing happens to us when our enemy, Satan, understands that God has a destiny for you and me. And when we step into that fullness... The enemy is also nervous of what we can do. So what he does is he attempts to take you out of position before you even get in it. The enemy wants to attack before you have a revelation of who you are and what you can do or the seat that you actually sit in. And so that's why we're so passionate about the growth track here. We want to know that you have a purpose and when you, are, you were made with gifts or talents, and we know how special you are here, and the Growth Track helps call out those gifts and cal- talents and helps identify the calling that God has on your life. And we tell our dream team all the time, you're not just a greeter. You're not just a coffee maker. You're not just a babysitter. But when you're doing something for the kingdom of God, you're placed on purpose for a purpose. That God will not waste your time. You don't know who's coming through those doors that need to see you. They may never tell you that you've impacted their lives, but I guarantee you, you're impacting somebody. So when you have purpose, your life has purpose. And the enemy wants to take that purpose out. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with people that believe in you and who will remind you of your destiny. I heard a great testimony about serving the other day and what motivates them to serve. And here's what they said. They said, it's the people that walk through the doors. I get to shake hands with them, every race, every walk of life. Everything that someone is going through, they are bringing in with them. And you can't tell what you're going through, but when they walk in and you offer them a sincere smile and a sincere welcome and they offer that back, it's motivating that they are coming here with open hearts and I get to help with God's purpose and God's plan because I'm a part of that. Is because I feel like I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm doing this to help others that God is already working through. So if the enemy is attacking you, I want you to know that you don't have to be afraid of the enemy. If you're under an attack, that means the enemy is afraid of you. The attack is confirmation of your greatness. The intensity of the attack is the evidence of the enemy's fear. So let me show you what David did when the Philistines came for him. So in 2 Samuel... Chapter 5, verse 17, it says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force search, to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now let me just say this about David and about his temperament and the nature of who I'm talking about. David wasn't fearful. He's not running away from the Philistines. David was a fighter. So if you remember when he was a boy, when the lion the bear came to get some of his father's sheep, he killed the lion and a bear. Has anybody in here has fought a lion and a bear? I don't think so. I mean, and we're even talking about this isn't a zoo, lion and a bear. This is out in the wild. And he didn't have a gun. He wasn't fighting them from afar. He was fighting them with his hands, and he killed them. So David was a fighter. Some commentaries suggest that David was such a fighter that he slept with a sword by his side. He was called a man of war. So he's such a fighter that he's going to want to rise up and fight the Philistines. Instinctively, when he's under attack, that's what a fighter is going to do. So he's aware of his ability to fight, but he's also humble. So you can be aware of your ability, but also be humble. Humility isn't being ignorant of what you have, but it's remembering who gave it to you. So David is aware of who he is, and he knows what he's capable of doing. I mean, if he's a fighter and a really good fighter, he's probably looking at the Philistines and going, this is no problem, I've got a whole army, I can do this. But with humility, the Bible says he goes down to the stronghold. He goes down and inquires of the Lord. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answers him, go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David does as he says, and um, he thought the, it was over. And, um, but after the fight, the Philistines come right back up, rise up, and come back after him. So just think about your life. What are those things that are in your life that you think that it's over and done with, but they keep rising back up? Are you in a cycle that you're fighting and it seems never ending? The Bible says David goes down again to the stronghold, and he asks God again, should I go? And God says, yes, but here, do something different. So in Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 23, it says, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and tack them from in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching the tops of poplar trees, move quickly, because that means the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines. But that always puzzled me. How in the world do you hear marching in the tops of trees? Has anybody ever heard marching in the tops of trees? Well, that's because it's a different army. That's not an army that marches on the ground. That's the Lord commanding his angelic host to go before you to fight on your behalf. See, the Philistines had this line across the valley. And if you couldn't get through the front wall, you couldn't get to the troops that were behind it. So the only way they could win was if they had a breakthrough, and God told David, "When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of trees, that meant I went in first. I'll put a break in the wall so you can knock it down." And when David finally got the victory, he renamed the place Bel Perizim, which means "the Lord a breakthrough." So David was saying, "Every time I walk past this place, every time I go through this place, I want to be reminded that God is a waymaker." And I think we should as well come up with ways to remind ourselves that God is a way maker. That when there seems to be no way, that God has a way. Put it on your mirror in the bathroom, put it in your kitchen, put it in your car. Those places where you're alone and quiet by yourselves and you need to remind yourselves that. So when you wake up in the morning, before you start your day, you need to remind yourself that no matter what happens today, what comes against you today, that what you have to face today, God has a way. No matter what doors close, a way is already made. No matter what opportunities are denied, a way is already made. I don't care what you're facing. There's nothing that you're facing that isn't under the jurisdiction and the power of Jesus Christ. This may be the most important part of the message because your awareness of God's authority will determine just how much you receive from him. Often we think it's about our faith. Well, if I just had more faith. Well, don't get me wrong. Faith is important. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Faith is important. But faith is more than a feeling. Your faith has got to be attached to something. Faith is like an anchor. And no one just takes an anchor and throws it out without it being attached to something. You're going to lose that anchor. So you better tie that anchor to something. And the anchor needs to be tied to your awareness of God's authority the authority of his power, and the authority of his word. That's what our faith needs to be connected to. So listen, if you don't know about this authority, you're going to struggle in your faith. Do you remember the time in the Bible when the disciples and Jesus were in a big storm, and they are in a ship, and Jesus was asleep at the bottom of the boat, and the disciples were freaking out, and they're yelling, and they're saying, Jesus, come save us. Don't you even care? We need you. Come out here. Come save us. And so Jesus wakes up, and he gets up, and he's all calm, cool, and collective. And he just goes to the edge of the ship, and he says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves were immediately calm. And it says the disciples marveled at his authority. Their jaws hit the ground. They were like, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? But I want to say, if they knew of his authority, when the storm came up, and they saw Jesus asleep at the bottom of the ship, If they knew of his authority, they would have said, Jesus, if this isn't bothering you, it's not bothering me as well. In fact, scoot over, Jesus, because if you're asleep, that means you're not stressing about it and neither am I. You must know how this thing works out in the end. So he's not stressing about what you're stressing about. So the awareness of God's authority and power will determine what you receive from him. I'm going to show you three, three people in the Bible that experienced Jesus and their own awareness of his authority. The first one's out of Mark chapter 5, verse 22, and it says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed after him. Afterwards, he put, he put them all out, and he took the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him, and he went into the, where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. So he was talking about his authority here, and they just started laughing at him. And he said, the girl isn't dead. She's just asleep. And they started laughing, and he puts them out. <laughs> I love that Jesus got some swag in him so (laughs) and he said you think that's funny then just get out so you're laughing because you think it's over but I can look at a dead situation in the face and I can say nah it's not dead it's just asleep don't put a period where God is putting a comma so out of Mark chapter 5 verse 24 it says a large crowd followed and pressed around him And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. But when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And then out of Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, it says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lives at home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. So what do all these stories have in common? They were all healed, but they were all healed according to their belief in his authority. The first one believed, Jairus believed, that Jesus had to come to his house and lay his hands on his daughter for his daughter to be healed. So that's what Jesus did. The second one, the woman with the issue of blood, believed if she would just touch the hem of his garment, she would be healed. And she was the third one understood authority, that all Jesus had to do was say the word and his servant would be healed. And it was. I'm telling you, God wants to open up our eyes to his authority. Because the same authority that God had to heal these people is even more so after what he did on the cross. Listen, Jesus, if he has the power to take away our sins, that in itself is powerful enough. Who else has that much power? Because of what he accomplished on the cross, we already have the victory. We don't have to ask for him to come to our house and lay hands on us to be healed. We don't have to ask to touch the hem of his garment for him to heal us. We certainly don't have to ask him to say the word because he already said the word when he said, it is finished on the cross. We have victory. So as I'm closing, I know some of you are asking, but Stephanie, why don't I see the victory? Listen, Ronnie and I have lived through several circumstances in our life where we had to wait. It was a season of waiting. There was one time when we, after um, our first son was born, we were trying for a second one. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and it just wasn't happening. We did, tried everything. We read all the books. We did what we were supposed to be doing. (laughs) And we went to the doctor's. Sorry, Nathan. We went to the doctors. We went to specialists. We did everything we knew to do, and it was the season of waiting. We waited for seven years before Jordan was born. Then after Jordan was born, I went into a season of severe depression, depression that I wouldn't wish on anybody. It was so severe that I literally wanted to die. My life was meaningless. I asked God to take it from me. We prayed, we searched out for doctors, I was put on medicine, we did everything we knew to do, still we had to wait. That's a hard season. I know some of you might be thinking, Stephanie, you don't know the half of my waiting, and you're right, I don't know your story. But I understand being in a season that I hated so badly that I wanted to die. That I literally wanted to end my life. That I thought it would never change. And I thought if God wasn't going to take this from me, I was going to take it from myself. But I'm so glad I waited on God. I am also understand a season for waiting on Ronnie's dream to come true. He's waited for over 25 years, at least 25 years, for waiting for his dream of being a mechanic and owning his own business to come true. Do you know how many no's he had? How many doors were closed? How many times people told him it wouldn't be possible? Even family. Do you know how many times we thought that it would never happen and Ronnie wanted to give up on his dream? But listen, through all those seasons of waiting, our breakthrough didn't happen when we finally got the positive pregnancy test. Our breakthrough didn't happen when I was finally able to hold my baby boy without wanting to die. And our breakthrough didn't happen when we were able to purchase our business. Our breakthrough happened when we came to a point in our life when we realized that Jesus, you are enough. That Jesus is a cycle breaker. That Jesus is a promised keeper. That he will make a way where there seems to be no way. And in the midst of the middle of waiting for your miracle to happen, of realizing that God is enough, that he satisfies our soul, that he will meet you in the valley, and he will heal your broken hearts. So what is it that you're faced with today that you need a breakthrough in? Are you looking at your circumstances and seeing the storm just like the disciples did? Do you see all the closed doors? Do you see hopelessness? When you're speaking about circumstances through disappointment, through anger, even through whining? Or are you believing in God's authority? That you are the head and not the tail. That you are going over and not going under. That when there seems to be no way, that there is a way. God is so pleased when we come to him and we say, God, I don't see what you're doing, but I believe you're a God of breakthrough in my marriage. I believe you're the God of breakthrough in my finances. I believe you're the God of breakthrough in my healing. God, I believe in you. And so when we come to him with that heart, that's when he says, that's my child. I'm going to do it for them just as they believe. I want us to not get, not past this moment for us not get this into our soul. Far too often we come in like it's an ordinary Sunday and we get complacent and we get comfortable with the price Jesus paid. But why in the world would he do deal with such a high price for us to just live in defeat? God is a good God and he is so gracious and he loves each and every one of us with a never-ending love. He paid a hefty price so that we can live in freedom and have an abundant life.